All right, so before we get into today's interview, we do have a quick announcement that we will be hosting our first one of the Angels Breakfast Tacos meetup at Veracruz in Austin, Tuesday, September 26th, and local time, 9 to 11. Does that sound about right, Colin? Yeah, Line Hotel there downtown. And it's nice to have uh, people from LA coming to Austin here. Yeah, I know. We even have a small budget. And big thanks to Sidecar for sponsoring this meetup. You and I are both big fans of the product. And why did we decide breakfast tacos because you know it's uniquely austin you can't get them anywhere else a little different will there be alcohol (laughs) involved (laughs) (laughs) we shall see we shall see there there is a nice bar at right right across from veracruz i think that was the other reason i like it it's like all right you know there's all these events now everyone's like oh no alcohol i'm like no i want to drink personally but no pressure you can drink or you can have tacos or you can just come and hang it'll be fun we'll be covering drinks and tacos for the first uh, 25 or 50 people that show up should be able to cover everyone but just in case like a million people come we won't be able to pay for everyone but should be able to get everyone all right see everyone there hope to see everyone there tuesday september 26 9 a.m to 11 at Veracruz. Get some breakfast tacos in Austin. All right. The best combo of like what makes me most excited and I think the most amount of money and like where those two things overlap is things that I think need to exist in the world that I'm excited about and then like finding a founder who is building that thing. I've had a lot of like things where I'm like, I would love if someone was building and like turns out someone is actually building that thing. Colin, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm really looking forward to some tacos, man. I am getting hungry just thinking about tacos. And uh, I think today's a perfect episode because we've got Alex, who's also based in Austin. So I'm feeling a little left out, but luckily I'll be there at the end of the month with you. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing great. I do love tacos, but I'm much more of a bagel guy for breakfast and we do not Mm. have good bagels in Austin. So... Okay, well, I will be coming from LA, so I can bring you a bagel from my favorite shop in Mid-City here in LA, Bagel Broker. Great spot next time you're in LA, and uh, maybe you can have a day-old bagel. How does that sound? (laughs) That sounds great. I've wanted nothing more than a day-old bagel. (laughs) Still not bad. Awesome. Well, we're excited to chat with you today, Alex. And Colin, you want to hit his bio and we'll get into it? Yeah, I'd love to. So... Alex, probably most well-known for his Twitter presence, but he does other things outside of that. Product leader and angel investor. He leads the consumer and growth product teams at Carbon Health. It's a fast-growing digital health startup based in San Francisco, but previously founded two venture-backed companies. He's also an angel investor in 70-plus companies, including Lula, Certify OS, Flume Health, Almond, OBGYN, Railway, Splatero, and many more. And I think within that, you also have a a fund, which we can probably two funds or vintages we can uh, chat a little bit more about as well. But great to have you on. Austin Strong, the LA guests are never as good. So, but (laughs) (sighs) I'll be honest, I didn't know Alex. Yeah, Alex, I didn't know you had a real job. I thought you were just on Twitter and LinkedIn. And it turns out like reading your bio, you've got a lot going on. You're a full-time product manager angel investor, you've got to fund everything. So I'm excited to dig in. Am am I the only one who's thought that or does that come up? No, no. A lot of people think I just like post memes on the internet as my full-time thing. (laughs) And like, it's funny. I do. I've gotten paid a lot of money over the last couple of years to to fire away tweets, but yeah, it's definitely not my full time thing, and, and I don't think it ever will be. But yeah, I have a real job. I run the consumer and growth product teams at Carbon. <laughs> I've been doing that now for coming up on three years. At the moment, I am the sole product person on our entire consumer org, so we run really lean, and we see 
we'll see over a million patients this year. So every single one of those patients touches something that my team has built. And so I have a real job working in healthcare and then I kind of balance out the serious stuff with shit posting. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, let's, let's get into it. Let's ask you some questions about angel investing. First off, as you know, you've done 70 plus angel investments, but like how many, you know, in terms of like, you know, your own primary investments versus what you've done out of the fund, you know, what does that look like? It's an interesting mix because I had been angel investing a little bit prior to raising the fund with my partner, Bart. And then what we, we both have been doing the same thing. It was like, let's go write some small checks in the companies. We know a bunch of founders at the time. Like I was still not that liquid. I had come off of a startup exit that was mostly an aqua hire. I had stock in this company that shot itself in the foot and then ended up getting fire sold. And so it was like, it wasn't until around that time that I was like, I can afford to go like drop some money into these founders who I know and I'm willing to take a bet on them. And around that same time- What year was that, Alex? I, that was 2019, like probably early 2019. And then later in 2019, is when Bart was doing a very similar thing. Like, he had a bigger exit though. So like different scale of check sizes, you know, to him, sm like small was my large. <laughs> and so, yeah. and we ended up like having a bunch of interest from other operators similar to us who were like, hey, like how can we co-invest alongside these deals, but without doing any work? And it sort of came to us that we should raise an operator fund. I'd always wanted to do it. I just knew all these people that had an extra 25 or 50 or 75K lying around that wanted exposure to early stage companies. And so now all the money that I was planning on angel investing has just been put into the fund as a GP commit. And so it's majority of the investments to date have been out of the fund. The fund is first fund was just under 3 million. Second fund, which we raised in January 22 was six and a half million. So it's about 10 million total of funds when you count the SPVs that we've done as well. And then like, you know, I wrote a big check into both funds. That was my personal money saying like, this is the money that I'm going to invest in startups. And now I get to write much bigger checks. It's the same exact investing style that I would do personally. Like, you know, when we're evaluating, there's a little bit of a difference in that we have a, a bit of a hurdle to clear now, given that we've raised funding. And so we are looking for the big exits versus like, if you're an angel investor and you return 3X, like that's amazing. 5K turns into 15K or 25 turns into 75 um, the, those economics don't work with a fund. So, so it's, there's definitely a bar that needs to be reached, which is, which is a lot different, but I would say like 90% of the investments I've made have come out of the fund today. Interesting. I don't know if we've talked to anyone yet who sort of, you know, was on this angel investing track and then kind of started the fund to, it sounds like continue doing more of angel investing and kind of take that same strategy. It sounds like investing in similar operators, maybe slightly different companies and going for different return profiles. But what was the impetus there? Was it because other people wanted to invest with you on these deals or? It was two things. One was definitely like when you've got people offering to give you money, you don't say no. <laughs> I mean, at least like you, good uh, advice. you know, yeah, there, there was an opportunity there where I was like, you know, these are good deals that we're looking at. I had missed out on some companies where, you know, looking back, had I had been investing, I was so poor as a startup founder, but like, had I been investing during that time, those companies today, like those founders are doing really well. We just like, we're not investing in 2017, 2018. And so I was like, you know, we're like, my network's really big. We need to take advantage of the fact that like, I'm just meeting all of both Bart and I are meeting like all of these founders. And then it was wanting to write larger checks and not ask a founder to get on a call to go write a $2,000 or $5,000 check. Like we wanted to be able to go 
and write the 50 or 100 or $150,000 check be a bit more value adding, like even just from a money, a monetary perspective, like, you know, the faster that you can raise around, the better it is for the founder. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely grown, I think, larger than we had expected. I think we still have ambitions of growing it even larger. Like I'd like to go raise an opportunity fund at some point to go double down on the companies that are, that, that are breaking out, whether it be Sidecar or Lula or Pogo or one of those. And, but yeah, I mean, I think that was really the two driving factors was like, there was money that we could raise. And then we wanted to write larger checks and be more supportive of founders. Got it. Yeah. How do you sort of logistically handle the fund and balancing that with your day job? Are there any issues? Did you have to get <laughs> approval from your day job? Did you have to get approval for all your shit posting on Twitter? Like, how do you sort of balance the, the different things you have going on? Yeah. Carbon's the longest place I've ever worked. That's not my own company. And so they must like, I, yeah, yeah, I think they do at this point. But when I first joined, <laughs> I remember uh, Aaron, who's our CEO, I like literally asked him point blank. I was like, do you need me to cur like pull back on my shit posting? And he was like, like, keep doing it. If it becomes a problem, we'll let you know. And in the last three years, I have yet to have a problem with my Shitposting. So they, I think they appreciate the authenticity and the brand. You know, I, yeah. Twitter for the first 12 months, Carbon, we ended up recruiting probably 15 people through it, whether yeah. it was like folks that I had brought in or folks had reached out. Like there was a lot of brand awareness that came from tens for of thousands sure. or hundreds of thousands of impressions a month. And I think it's a bit more fun than your buttoned up, strict, no media policy companies that you just like don't really want to work for. So it definitely self-selects yeah. a group of people who have a sense of humor and, and want to have fun at work. And then, you know, it's funny because I had been doing the fun a little bit before joining Carbon. I didn't join Carbon until January 2021. Mm -hmm. And um, they had no issues with it. Like we have a very lenient side gig policy where if you're like good at your job and you get your stuff done, they really don't care yeah. what you do outside of work as long as it's not competitive. Like if I was opening aging care businesses or virtual <laughs> care, they would yeah. probably not appreciate that. But, you know, investing in startups, there was also a very natural overlap between the healthcare companies that we were meeting as a big, like probably at one point we were the fastest growing digital health company in the country. So we're meeting all these companies that are trying to sell to us or partner with us or whatever it was. And we ended up yeah. um, sourcing a lot of deal flow that way. So uh, that was kind of the unfair advantage when LPs were asking like, where does your deal flow come from? I'm like, you would have, you have no idea the number of founders who are reaching out. Like, I, I don't think we had missed a healthcare deal in two years that, that we hadn't looked at. And so, and then several folks ended up becoming LPs in the fund who worked at Carbon. And that, you know, it's so like Aaron, who's our CEO, Russ, who's our vice chairman. There's a few other folks at Carbon who wrote checks into the fund. And then and, and there's a big angel investor group at Carbon. So it was kind of a natural overlap of the job. And, you know, I think at one point, the market, as you guys know, was like very competitive and hot in 2020, like late 2021, sorry, all 2021, early 2022. And that's when most of my... That's when the fund was most demanding. And now that the market has, has reset itself, it's become less demanding of, of a work-life balance, trying to balance the two. But, you know, it's like you know, we call it our nights and weekends fund because we take a lot of calls with founders first thing in the morning, evenings, on the weekends. I'm texting founders. That tends to be the way that we communicate mostly. And so it's the work of an investor that's passive and not, you know, I'm not sitting on a board. I'm not leaning rounds. It becomes a lot more asynchronous work than it does having to be 
live all the time and and supporting founders. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you guys look for and invest in. Uh, what's your what's your um, unique POV? Yeah, three main categories in in order of I would say volume and uh, digital health and health tech is one, and I can sort of double click on that. FinTech is the second category and then enterprise SaaS is the third. So you'll see across the portfolio, we've, we do a bunch of, we've done dev tool startups. We've done a whole bunch of digital health infrastructure as well as consumer digital health companies. We have done uh, uh, a bunch of FinTech companies. And then there's like a fourth category, which we always had. And that was an exceptional founder working on something that we just like are not excited about, or we don't, you know, it's not on, on thesis, but like, we love the founder and we made the bet. Those have been like interesting too. We just invested in ladder, which is here in Austin, if you're familiar with them and mm -hmm. they're raising a series a, they had incredible growth. It's a consumer company, but just like great team, great execution, really good entry price and was really bullish on the business. And it's not one of the first three categories. It's definitely consumer SaaS, but we were really excited. We made the exception and we did the investment. And so, you know, we won't do anything like life sciences or medical devices or really like D2C or e-commerce for the most part. But there's been a few, like we did one company that's uh, building software for people to create in-app purchases within Roblox and other virtual worlds. Like the weirdest shit that we've invested, I mean, that we've invested in today. Well, yes. Tell me more about these weird deals, the consumer SaaS, this Roblox one. Like, what is the impetus for these deals? Is it because you knew the founder from another company or it's like, obviously there's something there, I'm guessing around like exceptional founder and like you've worked with him before, you've seen him or her in action, right? Because I feel like one challenge that I have is that I'm always seeing cool companies and cool people. And it's like, if I invest in everything that's cool, like I'd probably run out of money in about four days, right? Yeah. But it's like, so I kind of, <laughs> I have that category too, where it's like, wow, I've seen this guy, you know, he was, you know, CEO of some company and they got acquired and I've seen him in action. I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd invest in that company. So that's like my fourth category. But how are you finding yeah. or thinking about this category? Sometimes it's the nature of like, who is co-investing if I like really mm -hmm. respect that angel investor's point of view. So like, that's how we met this company that the weird one, the Roblox one, um, it was it. just like a whole group of like really smart people who I respect a lot was yeah. like, we have no idea if this is going to work, but this is a huge bet. You know, teens and, and kids are spending hours and millions of dollars a month on in-app purchases and all these games. And this company now has like millions and millions of users who are building like in-app clothes to sell in Roblox or like, like basically cool. it's like they can design their own apparel in like a WYSIWYG. And so... The weird ones sometimes work out, but yeah, it's either like we worked with them in the past and it doesn't matter. You're like, write a blank check for that person. There, there's a few of those. And, and then the other one is typically a signal of like, this person is really smart. They've made a lot of good bets before. They're really going to bat for the founder. And then you meet the founder and you kind of get that sense of like, they have a really ruthless vision that they're going after. They have an idea of how they're going to get there. They're thoughtfully thinking about how to grow the business. And there's a very, it's very black and white when you meet founders. Like we've met founders yeah. who are working on a great business, but they're like, I want to grow slow. And like, I'm scared to spend money that I'm raising. It's like, then why are you raising venture money? Like, go bootstrap yeah. the thing or go and raise family money. So 
Yeah. If it was a space that you didn't know super well, but, and a founder that was sort of cold, you know, maybe it was even a great cold email or a cold DM in your case. Right. And you know, that you came to them and you met them and they were amazing, exceptional, but you had like no other connection. Like you didn't know the industry, the space that well, but it's like, wow, this founder is amazing. What would you do or think in that situation where it doesn't kind of qualify where like, oh, you don't know who else is co-investing, but it's like, you're kind of getting that, that good vibes from them. What do you think about that situation? We've definitely had a lot of we 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 take we've taken a lot of calls via cold inbound. I can't I'm trying to think mm-hmm. if there's even been one that we've invested in that has truly been cold inbound. Like we didn't know anyone, they just like cold emailed and versus like got an introduction. I, I tend to find like it's very easy to get an introduction to me or like to find someone who mm-hmm. can pass a note to me. So I my general sense yeah. is that if you can't, it's a lack of resourcefulness. And like, you know, some people might find that i guess offensive like oh your cold emails aren't open like they are open i still read all my emails it's just if you can't find one of a thousand people who feel like they have the ability to send a deck along to me then it (laughs) makes me wonder just like how resourceful that person is and and that's typically like a low to medium signal and yeah it's there's always a question of like if someone is struggling to fundraise because that's typically when we get those pitches it's like great founder but like they're struggling to fundraise in some capacity they don't have a lead or and they've cold emailed us it, it's just it makes you wonder why like there is real fundraising risk with these businesses yeah. we've seen a lot of companies which had great founders and i'm sure they're going to go on to build great companies but like they can't raise money to save their lives and this business is all like you need to raise more and more money at each subsequent round if you're going down this path and that's just the reality of like whether you're an angel investor investing in a company or in our case, like a small fund investing, I think it's the same thing. If that founder cannot sell the business to additional investors down the road, I mean, there's a whole bunch of execution risk as well, but like that fundraising risk becomes a real thing. Yeah, that's, I think probably right now, one of the bigger existential risks for most companies right now and in the ones that, you know, raised previously. Interesting question for you is because you guys had a, you said your last fund was in like a 2019 vintage kind of through probably some of the beginning of COVID there, you know, what are you seeing uh, just like at the top level for all those companies coming out of that cohort versus what you're investing now? Just intrigued. So first fund was 20 mid 2019 through end of 2021 is about a two and a half year deployment period. And we made 47 investments out of that. I would guess like, I haven't done the math, but like 40 are probably still alive. 25 have raised subsequent rounds of funding. And like, I would expect another like 10 or 15 to go under in the next couple of years or so, just by nature of how these things work. Um, But there have been some real companies that have come out of that portfolio. And so we've got one company that went from zero to 80 million run rate in two and a half years since we invested and like they're, They've raised a Series B. They're probably going to make it, hopefully, long term, so long as they, you know, they keep executing. And then there's probably like another five or six companies that have gone zero to like anywhere from five to ten million ARR. And like, I think that's a good two to three year trajectory to be like, okay, this company has the potential to now go like zero to one, one to five, five to ten, ten to a hundred. And in Fund Two, which the vintage year was 2022, so last year, I think. What we have found is that companies who had raised sort of early on in that cohort thought that the fundraising well would be there and then spent more money than they were expecting to and just were not as 
I guess, lean or we, we ended up skewing a little bit later stage because we found that the early companies just the bar to raising additional funding got so much higher that like majority of companies were now not getting enough traction to go raise additional rounds of funding. And so when everything reset, we just also moved our target a little bit more up market to say, hey, you need a product and you need some traction. There needs to be some validation here that this isn't just an idea built on top of uh, a dream. And I know that's a bit of the opposite of what we had originally raised the fund for, which was like pre-seed, early, like early spent investing. But that's where all the opportunity was at the time because everyone was raising, if you were a seed company, it was like 20, 25 million, $30 million valuations, which didn't make sense. So mm -hmm. the only opportunity you had to get priced in appropriately was at pre-seed. Now that the market has reset, it's like you can get priced in really well at seed in Series A. And so we've moved to those a lot more and we'll let the the family and friends round sort of take the risk at the early stage and we'll pay up a bit more for seed and A. We just found like we did most of the pre-seed bets that we had made so far, I think, in fund two, just like haven't shown enough traction or or growth to then go like raise the round didn't and it would have made a lot more sense for us to just wait for that seed round regardless given where that risk to price ratio is hmm. and i think angel so you, will grapple with this as well yeah i've been seeing this a lot where you can and I, there was even a good tweet by jeff at fj labs about the yc batch where basically you know they're raising at like their you know 2025 mil cap and then basically can just wait a year because the market isn't necessarily going to like allow them to raise at a much higher valuation and you, they can wait and see for the traction and invest almost at the same terms a year later. Right. And so I think that's yeah. kind of the, what you're saying. And, and I've been seeing this a lot in the pre-seed where if a company can actually get by on less and just raise some angel money to keep going, like on a rolling safe and then get mm -hmm. to that seed spot where they actually have real traction, then, you know, then it's interesting they can raise a decent round, but it just feels like that whole, there's like a kind of a dislocation in that, that precede to seed section now where people or investors are basically saying, I can wait and see, right? And that the yeah. really good companies yeah. will figure out a way to make it that far. So, and, and so, I think angels are going to have to make that decision of like, do I want to be the guinea pig check, <laughs> right? Like mm -hmm. it's your own <laughs> personal money. You're writing a $10,000 check, let's say, and it's in this early stage company that's got no traction. And you have to wonder, like, especially as an angel, like if let's say uh, hypothetically you invest at a, eight million dollar post money valuation like pre-seed round. If they go and get a million dollars in traction and go raise it a twelve million post or a fifteen million dollar post, like that delta between the eight and the fifteen to you as an angel does not matter if that company sells for four or five X from here. But the risk you took, like the odds that they go from zero to a million ARR is really low. And so I do think like I think we're seeing angels as well wait on uh, in that regard. So what's your advice for angels right now? I mean, I guess, you know, if you're, you've got your fund, so you're thinking about it a little differently, it sounds like, than someone like me or Colin who are <laughs> wannabe angels. What would you sort of, early stage is still okay, but look for more traction, look for a more, you know, developed product. What are you sort of, what would your advice be? Yeah, I think it depends on what your goals are. I think there's really <laughs> two goals. One is you either want to just learn a lot and this is your way of buying access to learning, which I, I know of several angel investors who literally write checks just because they're like, I don't know anything about this space. I like the founder. I want to learn. And then there's the other side, which is like, you're purely going for 
a seat at the roulette table and you want to go for a, a financial outcome or bust. Mm-hmm. In, in that case, I think being, you know, uh, understanding like the, the risk reward of investing in a pre-seed deal versus waiting until that company gets a little bit more traction, like your outcome, I don't think is going to be that material, materially different, you know, unless you're getting yeah. into a company and they're raising like a $2 million post money valuation. And most likely it's like first time founders, not in San Francisco or New York or, or one of the major cities. And then you have to wonder like, well, how low are their odds of actually succeeding? And so I do think, you know, as an angel investor, you just have to decide if it's a learning experience for you. And if you're willing to go spend, even if it's like $2,000 or $5,000 to say yeah. like, I'm investing in this healthcare company because I want to get to know the founders. I want to learn more about yeah. the space. Like, I don't care if I lose my 5K. It's like, you know, putting it into school. Let's focus. Versus, let's let's yeah. assume it's more yeah. the returns for now, because I think we've talked a lot about, you know, the benefits of the, you know, kind of learning and the network. And I think that's pretty well established. But I feel like there's not I haven't really heard. I really like the way you phrased it with sort of the risk reward of pre-seed versus seed. Like you use that example, you know, if you're at eight million right now, but they've got no product and it's all a vision, you know, on a vision board right now versus if you can get in, you know, at 15 later, like you said, right, you're going for that big outcome anyway. So who cares? Eight, 15 initially, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Uh, in that case, I would be investing much more, hopefully, in my network of folks who I'm like, this person's ruthless. I've worked with them. I know yeah. that they're going to – like, if I'm doing true pre-seed at that point, there's got to be something there that sets them up uh, uniquely. I think a lot of people get FOMO still, and they're like, well, if I miss out on this round, I'm not going to get into the next round. And it's like, I don't actually – I think now at the market, there is a 99% chance that you still have access and allocation in the next round, especially yeah. if you just stay in touch and close with the founder and you help them when they ask you for an ask, right? If you're like, I really love this company, but I'm just like not comfortable – like they're telling me that they're going to go sell this thing to, you know, in healthcare, like private practices. And I need to see them sell like the first five or 10. And like, that's my, you know, you can decide to do that as an angel investor and say, well, once you guys have some validation there and the go to market motion is working, like, and let me make a few intros for you to like get you off the ground. You're going to have allocation in that round when they inevitably need more money as like every company does. Yeah. And well, so I, I also think th- that's key too, right? If you are going to sort of wait or pass, you know, provide a little value, help them out a little bit, right? Make some intros to investors mm-hmm. or cost- customers or hop on a call or, you know, provide some feedback or product or something so that it's like when you do come knocking on the door later as an angel, especially in a later round, right? If they're raising more money, it's like, oh, this guy or girl actually helped me or, you know, I actually want to include them, you know, sort of planting the seeds for that yeah. that next round. Yeah. And I think people underestimate like the jump or they overestimate the jumps in valuations when a company raises a pre-seed versus a seed. And I look at several of our best performing companies and like, had you had invested around after us, after we took the risk, your return profile looks like fairly similar, even though like we have an extra year of investing in that company and, and a lot more risk that they weren't going to make it to that next stage. And so, you know, it may be like, again, I think it's like eight to 20. And then after that, maybe some, sometimes even like 20 to 35 or 40. And so it's not massive, massive jumps for you as an angel. Like you have so much more data. I mean, same thing with venture funds. I always think Series A was the sweet spot. It just got way out of control during the COVID boom. But when you actually have some stuff to look at and be like, all right, the founders have proven that one, they can build the thing they're saying they can build too. They can like sell it, even if it's not what pricing will ultimately be, what their go-to-market channels will be, like what 
you know, there's enough to be like, I've got conviction that they will figure it out. And it, it all comes down to like, I think either, you know, the person, you know, if I worked at Airbnb and there's obviously a lot of people there, a lot of successful Airbnbers have left to start companies. Like you just invest when they leave Airbnb and they recruit the team because it's like your network. But most angels who have not worked at a high growth startup or like there's a built-in network effect of having worked there to then go invest in their companies that they start, whether it's like Uber, Airbnb, there, there's a bunch of these companies that, that have, you know, the alumni. I think you just need to wait or you're probably going to take unnecessarily high risks for what your return as an angel needs to be. I think the one caveat, or at least the model that I like that I think works within the context of pre-seed and then investing in seed, or is that you know there's always this debate of should I invest in a lot of companies or should I concentrate? And I actually think that mm. it's like wrong of a either or thing. It's like at what stage should you do those things? Because to your point, like Series A concentration makes a lot of sense, right? Like if you can mm -hmm. bank on some big winners with a lot of good data behind it, that makes a lot of sense. But at pre-seed stage, you inherently know that failure rate is high and that in some sense, like you said, you want to buy a ticket to learn and that if you can do small checks, this is kind of like the hustle fund model where they write a small check up front mm. to a company at pre-seed and then at seed layer on a bigger check and syndicate on top of that. Like, I think those are like really interesting like ways to handle that kind of, not that all angel investors can do that, but I do think you can do it on a, a small way. You can say, Hey, like I'm going to write a very small check at your pre-seed and I want to work with you guys into your seed and I can invest more then, right. And make intros yeah. for you and, you know, sculpt the round in some sense. Yeah. So. I guess it depends on how much money you have, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, you definitely, not yeah, not, ne <laughs> never have enough. But I, I think that model works only if you think that you will not have access to the next round unless you're buying an option call on that next round, which we mm -hmm. do that, you know, as a fund, we definitely do that. We just invested in a, in a company that raised literally like their seed round. They had just quit their jobs, 6 million from Excel and Bain. And so we basically like either had to participate and we really like the company. Like I would have loved to invest when they had some traction, some go to market motion, but it was either now or we're going to like miss the next round because it's going to become too expensive or they're going to raise a bridge. And like, that's not going to be that interesting at that point. Right. It's like, we have to buy into the dream now. It's going to be a lot harder for us to get excited about a bridge round in, in, in a year and a half. If they're like, Oh, we haven't figured it out yet. Like I'd rather take the bet now, but there have been other ones where it's like, we really like the founder. We just wrote a small check at pre-seed, basically said, this is a flyer bet. And for the fund, it sets us up where if they do figure it out, we'll write a bigger check at the seed round, but only because it would, it'll be hyper competitive at the seed round if they do figure it out. And we don't think we would have allocation there. So we're basically buying ourselves a ticket into that round if, if it works out. And if it doesn't, the downside is like a very tiny percentage of the fund. Got but it. as angels, cool. I think like that it's really, it really comes down to that same mentality of like, I mean, sure, you could write two checks, like a thousand dollar check at, at pre-seed and then a 10 pay check at seed. Oh, I think though, you just have to be asking yourself like why? And if it's, I think it's to get access to the next round, if you think that's what's going to do that. Cool. So we've got one final tweet here for, to get your hot take on. Before we get to that, anything, I saw one in the past week that I wanted to share and get Alex's take on. I don't know if you have any, Colin, but <laughs> before we get to the hot takes on Twitter, Alex, anything else you want? I know you got a lot to say. So is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Anyone you want to talk about or anything or any topic before we move on? Floor is yours. 
I'm not particularly. I think I, I definitely have a tendency to talk a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I no, I don't have anything anything in particular unless you guys have more specific questions on investing and whatnot. No, I think we've got, I'll share my screen right now. And we've got a tweet today from Morgan Barrett. And when it loads here on the screen, I'll also read it. He says, angel investing is essentially signing up for a very expensive quarterly newsletter, at least so far in his experience. Alex, what do you think? Agree? Disagree? Um, funny, not funny. You know, there's always the like recurring joke in the group chat, which is like our quarterly subscription dropped. Whenever we're co-invested in a company <laughs> and, and we're in a group chat, it's like, oh, did you see the investor update from this company? And this has always been the, the ongoing group chat until there's like a real return, right? Like once the company yeah. returns the money, it becomes real or they get Apple hired or they shut down, then it becomes real. You're like, oh, that money's gone. Like it, it, uh, it, it evaporated. But yes, it's definitely a expensive newsletter and this is where i think the learning piece comes in it's like you know mm -hmm. what are you signing up to do there's a lot to learn by investing in a company and getting their monthly or quarterly updates that say like here's what we learned here's what we didn't kind of get that that access to information you wouldn't have otherwise but it definitely feels that way sometimes and sometimes founders don't even send the newsletters right so you're like what the fuck is this company doing right now and like, you don't know <laughs> sometimes they could be good or and... bad right do you do you think that it should be sort of either or i mean like you know you talked about right if you're angel investing it's either for the learnings or it's for returns like what do you kind of if you could do it over or what would you recommend like hey you should only do this for returns or you should only think about both or more learnings how do you kind of think about the two if they're on a slider I think the best combo of like what and my what makes me most excited and I think the most amount of money and like where those two things overlap is things that I think need to exist in the world that I'm excited about and then like finding a founder who wants to go who is building that thing. And so, you know, I've had a lot of like things where I'm like, I would love if someone was building and like, turns out someone is actually building that thing. And then you can yeah. go and see if it's a real business. And, and and I think that is where my level of excitement is the highest. Typically that's where I've done the most research as well. And so I can diligence the company like slightly better. I think we're all really bad at diligencing at this stage, but it's nothing really to diligence. And, but I, I think it should be, I don't think there's one right or wrong way to approach investing. It's just a matter of like, how much can you stomach losing and like, for what reasons? Got it. I like it. Yeah. All right. So we've got one final tweet for you to react to, and this is from Colin. So Colin, wow, look at you providing some major value. <laughs> this is a good one and very relevant. Have you been saving this for Alex? Oh, you can read it, Colin. I've just been saving it up and uh, I know me providing value. It's, I mean, that's why I'm a good angel investor. I, you know, give them the money and then <laughs> add value. <laughs> yeah, maybe questionable. The, the investor updates is funny though, because I've seen a few things fail through my time. And there was a, a founder that Harry introduced me to, and they were sharing an update about what they were pivoting and thinking about next. And I was like, I've seen three companies fail at that. Definitely don't do that. Oh. There is like some paid learning there, at least not for me, but for them. But let me read this one because it's a good one. All right, we've uh, moved on from that. We've moved on from that no, tweet. I know, There's a new tweet you, on the you know, screen, Colin. He didn't, make, he didn't make time for me to say my, my oh, um, I know. All right, let me get this one. Does the end game for angel investing need to be raising a VC fund? Which angels are out here just being super angels? I want to talk to you. And it feels apropos for you, Alex, you know, kind of on your trajectory on this, but. I mean... I know both 
founders turned or angel investors turned fund managers have done really well. I wouldn't say we're in that category. We're not there yet. Like, give me five years before I, uh, I give you a definitive answer. But then I know mm-hmm. angels have just like wrote a shit ton of checks. They never raised a fund and they've made way more than any of the fund managers have made. One of the angel mm-hmm. investors who I'm close to was the first check in Robinhood. He like was the first check in Liquid Death and has literally been like his own personal money into these companies that he knew there's no hurdle to reach. If they return 3x, great. If they return 100x, it's amazing. I don't think that there's any... I think when you eventually run out of your own money to invest, like you, you raise a fund. <laughs> Definitely, that's a part of it. But you know, if you just continually have the money to go write checks into startups, then I don't see why you have to raise a fund if you've got the access and all that. Again, it all comes back to your personal portfolio like how much can you stomach of your own money losing versus like how much do you want to tie up and make it a smaller percentage of a larger fund and and then of course there's like money to be made on the fund side it's different economics if you're pulling fees and now you've got carry and it's your own money in there so i think for most angels like i have a feeling they become lps actually before they raise funds they're like i'm done writing my own money into a bunch of companies this is time consuming I think the end game is like, I'm an LP in these 10 funds and that's where my money went. And like, I let someone else manage it. And then there's like a few that are like, I'm just going to go raise a fund. If you stay on that angel path, do you think the potential returns, you know, if you sort of really take it seriously as an angel versus, you know, going out and doing a fund, like personally, do you think your potential returns are, could be higher as an angel or would be higher going the fund route? I think if you were to say, I've got 500K to invest as an angel across however many companies I want to do, let's say even 10K across 50 companies versus Mm -hmm. I'm going to raise a fund and try to return a multiple of like enough so that the carry is more than what that 500K would return. I think you'd make more money as an angel investor with the assumption that you've got a continual network that's building and access to those deals. Because it's, you know, for an angel investor, it's always a passive, well, it's always a like partly active part-time thing versus when you become a fund that is like a job. So you have to be getting into the rounds and you have to be thinking about it all the time. And I think if you have sort of those ingredients as a part of that recipe to say like, I've got all these, you know, I've got all these deal opportunities. I keep meeting more founders, my other angel investor friends, my VC friends are asking me to participate. I think if you were to take that same amount of cash that you're willing to throw into startups and put into them versus raising a large enough fund where you can return enough, like you will probably make more as an angel investor. This sounds Got like it. a good spreadsheet exercise. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> I like probably, it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of like an easy in some sense in that like if your fund is, you know, what, five times larger, like then you're personal check, like they'll probably be equivalent ish, like minus like the management fee, kind of whatever that degradates. But if you can get a fund that's much larger, right, then, you know, like above five X, you know, 10 X, what you could have done anyway with that, then it probably starts to make sense. Right. But it still gets back to like the, how large of a check are you going to write into the winners for concentration? Um, yeah. So. Also, there's a lot of factors, right? It's like, now you have the opportunity cost of what you would have been doing. That's not running right. a fund full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go raise, like, let's say we use the 500k um, example and you're like, well, I either, you know, I need to go raise a $20 million fund. Like you're probably a full-time fund manager. There's a few part-time fund managers at the $20 million funds, but most yeah, likely you're tough. like, 
yeah, you're like ventures my career now. Like, and then yeah. you're giving up whatever you were doing before to go do that. Right. And I mean, also thinking about your returns, right. It's like a dollar amount, right? Like, you know, $20 million return on a $20 million fund is, you know, two, two X, right. But uh, you know, is that percentage wise, right. You can go out and do real estate and you know, like your house appreciates by, you know, a hundred percent in one year, if you're leveraged, right. And you have a good market in LA. All right, there you go. There's a one plus one for LA. So awesome. <laughs> Austin, well, Colin, Austin's anything else? Better, man. <laughs> well, we'll compare real estate prices later, Colin and Alex off air, but Alex, this was awesome. Really appreciate you coming on. So we'll go ahead yeah. and leave a link to your Twitter profile, obviously. Number one, number two, okay. it looks like you do some posting on LinkedIn too. Interesting. Okay. Pretty active <laughs> over there. Carbon health, anything else uh, you want us to mention or if folks want to follow you or find more about you or carbon health where should they go and your fun too uh, twitter or x or whatever you want to call it is definitely the place oh, yeah, where i link out to everything including now paid time which has been interesting i signed up for that mm. called intro and i've had a few nice. paid you know meetings that way i tell founders like do not pitch me that way i will reject like <laughs> I, i'm never a paid a pitch type of person but yeah. like if you want my advice on you know, whether it's like raising a fund, social media growth, like brand product, whatever, like those things cool. are great. Like high, like you can buy more time to do yeah, it because I do I like that. I've done it for a while, but um, definitely on the investing side, like send me an email, alex at alexandbartangelfund.com. Do not, yeah, get an intro. That's the best way. There's probably like <laughs> literally a thousand people who could email me and I would like look at it seriously. Yeah. So those there, there's enough people to reach out to. But I do read all my cold emails. So that's it. If you're lazy, do that. Just know that it, it carries a bit less weight than getting an intro. Cool. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it, Alex. And it sounds like there's a 30 to 40% chance we will see you at our taco meetup in Austin at the end of September. So maybe we'll I'm gonna see. I'm going to make it <laughs> 45%. We just upped the odds a little bit. Ooh, I like <laughs> the odds. Like all this. right. Thanks, Alex. Cool.